Welcome to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. And I'm going to continue to talk today about uh, this theme of liberation, which we started last time, between Pesach and Yom Atzmuk. But I wanted to just touch briefly before I start on that again, to talk about uh, that practice we started with, and to talk about it in the context of Kriyat Shema. So if you notice in the practice we started with, we did a number of steps. The first step was that we recognized that we are loved. That we are loved. And we in fact recognized the myriad, countless ways in which we have been loved. Right? That have actually been supporting us moment by moment throughout our lives. Actually, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are now and we wouldn't have survived if we hadn't had those myriad and countless moments of love. And then we recognized um, a kind of source a deep source of unconditional love. May have been the divine, may have been somebody you were close with, may have been some spiritual teacher you've been in contact with, right? Whoever you chose. But we sort of recognized and were aware of that source of love and continued to receive that love from that source and even joined in in sending ourselves that love. And then as a result of that, as a result of being able to and profoundly loved, we then were able to send forth that love into the world. Right? Here we picked a particular person to love. And so we chose to love that person. And for me, it's really powerful, that image of really noticing what's like directly the love I'm receiving and it being charged again in my heart. And I'm sending that love out to the world again. And what I want to suggest is that that practice we just did is the structure of Kriyat Shema Birchotea. It's the structure of the saying of the Shema and its blessings. I mean, not the full structure, but an important piece of it, which is, Every day before we say the Shema, whether in the morning or the evening, we say a bracha like the following. Ahava rahaba avtanu. With great love have you loved us. Chemla gedola With great and surpassing compassion have you had compassion for us. That is, the first thing we do before we say the Shema is we try to recognize how profoundly we are loved. And that we are just held in this abundance endless stream of love, right? In the evening we say, Avatolam, right? It's endless, it's eternal, it's eternal love. It doesn't turn on and off, it's not dependent on us. It's just this stream of love which is coming at us all the time and we are constantly, constantly, constantly held in that love. And then when we recognize that we are held deeply, deeply in that love, in this great love, in this abundant love, in this great, abundant, surpassing compassion, then we can recognize Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Right? Then there's a moment we can stop and we can recognize there is some profound source of this love. Right? This love is coming from the divine. We can see the source of this love. We can recognize that there is this boundless love and it's out there as a profound source that we can connect to. And then, only then can we respond Then we can express the love. Right? Right? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Right? That is... It's only when we feel profoundly loved in a certain way can we recognize really that the, the source and the existence of love and that we can send that love back out into the world. We can send that love back to its source, to the divine, to the divine both as some external that we're relating to but also to the divine as the world just around us, right? And we're going to love the Lord your God. We're going to love God in its manifestation everywhere in our world. And this practice which we started with, which was a Dzogchen practice, a Tibetan practice, um, has really helped me kind of recognize how profound that connection is. How much when I feel loved and can recognize how loved I am, 
love is all of a sudden available to me to send forth. Um, and I just want to offer that at the beginning as a way to, for those of us who say the blessings of the Shema and saying the Shema, as a way to really deeply engage with those blessings of that practice, to start off by really acknowledging how deeply you're loved before we go into Shema and before we try to send out that love. And it's a beautiful way to just ground your practice and practice at home, to sort of start even maybe for five minutes to just notice how profoundly you are loved. And then to practice from the place of that openness and security and trust of noticing the profound love that's happening around you. And, and one piece that's particularly important about it, and this is all connected to the liberation we're going to get to, is that often we walk around in the world and we're noticing, or at least I often walk around and notice, how the world is out to get me. Right? <laughs> like, what's not going right? What's going wrong? What's the next challenge? Why isn't this working out? Why isn't that working out? And when I practice this way, I start to notice how the world is out to support me, how the world is out to love me. Right? And the world really is out to support and love us in so many, so many, so many ways that we don't even recognize it. It's like the most mundane things. You know, One thing I think I mentioned before, but I suggest it's like somebody put up traffic lights right? <laughs> so that I can get from here to the central bus station and the central bus station home right? safely. And they didn't know me, but that was actually an act of profound love. It was somebody thinking, I care about the safety of people out there and we're going to do what we need to do to make sure those people's safety is protected, right? Amazing, fantastic, right? <laughs> like, and, and that happens over and over again in every step in our day and every step in our life. Somebody is taking care to make sure the basic structures of the world around us are going to be safe, right? Are going to be okay, are going to support us, are going to be taken care of. So we can just notice that. Notice the ways we're loved and taken care of over and over and over again in our experience in our day. So with that as our intro, um, we're now going to continue our discussion of liberation. So, and what we're doing this time, a bit different than what we've normally done, is that each time we're going to take a small piece of text from the Pizetzner and use that as the basis sort of, of the talk and explain that text and, and discuss it. And um, last time we looked at this text which is discussing mindfulness and talked about how one of the great benefits of mindfulness is that it allows us to take a step back and be what he called outside and above our choices and our options. And therefore, instead of just falling into habitual reaction and responses, we actually get the spaciousness to pull back, see there's a gap between this moment and whatever choice I'm trying to make. And now, seeing that gap, I can actually genuinely evaluate, oh, there are options here. I can start to make choices about the options. And I'm not trapped anymore in just that habitual response, in reactivity. I actually get to have a response. I actually get to have some space there. So today we're going to continue that discussion, um, in particular reference to our emotions. That is, how do we relate to our emotions in a way which is wise, which is liberating, right, which is freeing? And, and for the presenter, that means two things. So we're going to discuss both of them. We're going to look at one text, we're going to bring in other pieces, and we're going to discuss both of those. I'm just going to sort of give you the, the outline, which is that to be liberated in relationship to emotions, for the possessor means both, A, as we might expect, not to be controlled by our emotions, right, that's key, but also, as important, to fully feel our emotions, right? Liberation comes through fully feeling and expressing our emotions, not from running away from them, not from repressing them, not by avoiding them, right? So we're aiming for this kind of wise path, which is a path where 
I'm fully open to, and you're not controlled by my emotional experience. And you can imagine, even before we get into the text, I'll suggest you can imagine, right? I'll imagine. <laughs> you can see how it feels to you. You've, I'm sure, all experienced in your life the way in which you have felt controlled by your emotions, and you have felt trapped. You've felt trapped in anxiety, or in anger, or in hatred, or in pain and sorrow, right? You felt trapped by, in some way, overwhelmed, overcome, right? No space for you to find some spaciousness, some freedom, some openness, right? And I'll suggest, this is certainly my experience, may or may not be yours, that I have felt trapped and imprisoned in my inability to feel my emotions, right? In feeling closed down, in feeling shut down, in feeling, again, anxiety or numbness, or what the possessor calls tintum halev, the deadening or dulling of the heart, right? Which is just for him and for me another kind of prison. Right? So maybe now I'm not, in a certain external sense, being overwhelmed or controlled by emotions, but I'm just as controlled because in my desperate effort to control and to shut down and to feel safe, the heart shuts down, the mind shuts down, the body shuts down, and all of a sudden I'm trapped in this tiny prison, and it's painful, and it sucks, right? And I can't feel that taste of liberation, which is my birthright. So those are the two prisons. Those are the two places of of non-liberation that we're kind of concerned about here. So what does he teach? He says, Kol adam, kshavalu devar shel ogmat nefesh, doeg v'kashelo, lismoach, az, v'kshavalu devar shel simcha, hu samech v'kashelo lidogata, every person who of something difficult, painful comes to him and then he's warded in pain and he can't experience joy in that moment, or when some joyous thing comes to him and he's joyous and it's difficult for him to have for instance, some kind of concern at that moment. A person like that is just a kind of guest house for the thoughts of the world. They pass and go, they come and exit, but the essence of the person is lacking. Right? So he describes here, I think, a common, a common state for us, which is our emotional reactions are tethered to the world. They're tethered to the world. Something happens, we react. Something else happens, we react, right? There's no autonomy, there's no spaciousness, there's no place to sort of see what's happening and to choose how to respond, to notice maybe the multiplicity of our experience, to notice... Even in a moment of sadness, there might be some joy there as well, right? Even in a moment of joy, there might be some aspect of sadness or concern about the world or the pain in the world, right? It's like a wedding, we break a cup, right? And we break a cup because in the midst of that joy, we recognize that there's sadness present, there's still brokenness present in the world. But most of the time in our life, we can't actually hold that. We can't hold that multiplicity in our experience, right? Something happens, and we respond. And something else happens, and we respond. And something else happens, and we respond, right? And we're kind of caught in this kind of robotic experience of like whatever the next experience is, or whatever we notice as the next experience. Of course, lots of things are happening, right? But we notice as the next experience. It's like, and then, oh, that didn't work out, and I'm totally bummed out. And that worked out, and I'm happy for a second until I'm worrying about the next thing that didn't, isn't maybe going to work out, Right? So we just get trapped in this pattern of being at the mercy of the world. Things are just kind of happening to us. And as he says, Etzem shalosh right? It's like, 
There's no essence of the person who's gone. The person is just at the whim, just being pulled around by the world. But there's no stability. There's no place where I can sort of take my seat and open to what is arising and not be trapped by it. Right? I just get lost. I get lost in these currents of the world. He says, so then he suggests, he says, The person should sort of gather together his thoughts, sort of reflect on his thoughts in the last 24 hours and look at them and see, are they not just the sort of occurrences of the world, of the time and of the world? Whatever his conditions are, just as they change, so too his thoughts change, right? His thoughts are just conditions, right? Right? Now, according to the, his worries, he has many difficult thoughts in the midst of the person. And when God helps him or something good happens to happen in the time, then all of a sudden he has happy thoughts, Right? But the previous ones, the worries, and the later happy ones, none of them are his essence. They're just guests with him. Right? They're just guests in his guest house. They're just passing. At the beginning, they were bad guests. Right? They were not that pleasant guests. Then they were good guests. They were pleasant guests. According to whatever is happening in the world, Vayeka, where are you? Where are you yourself? Right? So he says, if you reflect on the last 24 hours of your experience, he'll suggest, and I'll suggest, that you'll note that, like, basically stuff happens. Sometimes stuff happens externally. Sometimes stuff happens in your mind, right? It's like you start thinking about something you have to do, whatever it is. And according to whatever happened, you have experiences. If something bad happens, you have bad experiences. If something good happens, you have good experiences, right? Some worry comes up, you suffer. If some joy or hope comes up, you feel pleasure, right? So, like, you're just reacting to the world. Things are just happening, a normal course of events. And where are we? Like, where's our autonomy? Where's our liberation? Where's our openness? If we're just trapped by this incessant flow of experience, right? Experience happens, and you respond. Experience happens, you respond. Experience happens, you react. Experience happens, you react. Experience happens, you react. Right? He's describing, saying, that's our normal experience. And I'm suggesting, reflect on your own experience and see if that's true for you. Because that what happens. And I think, for the most part, that is what happens. Right? Stuff happens, and we react in some way. If it's good stuff, we're happy. And if it's bad stuff, we're sad. And whatever happens keeps happening, and we keep reacting to the appearances of the world. But then he says, If a person is found in his house. I'll we'll see this house imagery is key to him here. If a person is, is present, literally, is present in his house, and in his self, in his essence, right? Then joy will not tear his mind, and also worry will not compel him so much. Right? says, so if there's a way where we can be present, we can be found, we're right there with who we are, right? And broader session we'll get into is, what does that mean, who we are? Because he doesn't think we have a self, right? But if we can be present with who we are at this moment, with this capacity really to pay attention, 
then we'll notice that we'll have joy, but joy will not, in this, this term, it will not like tear apart our mind, right? Joy can be open and balanced. And not like all of a sudden I'm like, Wah! you know, like going crazy and I'm desperately trying to hold on to it and I'm ready to like, right? Totally unbalanced. And worry will not compel me. It's like worry may arise and that's okay, but I don't have to be caught in the worry. I don't have to be making into anxiety. He says in another place, he says, you know, how should we do a daga with worry, with concern? He says, look, what you should do is, is you should have worry once a day. <laughs> once a day, you can check in and be like, okay, what should we be concerned about today? And he says it's like, this is great imagery, he says it's like you're on a journey, and you want to check the map, like once every long while, right? You don't want to look at the map constantly all the time, because then you can't drive, right? <laughs> like, you want to look at the map and be like, all right, I know I need to be on this highway now for the next you know, eight hours or whatever it is. Good. I know what I'm going. I've seen it. I've directed myself. I've given myself my intention. Awesome. Don't need to check the map now every five minutes. When we worry all the time. It's like we're constantly checking the map. It's like, oh, am I still in the right place? Am I still in the right place? Am I still in the right place? Still in the right place? Right? And there's no space to actually be on the journey. Nothing wrong with setting intention and having a little bit of like concern. Like, am I doing this right? Do I need to reorient myself? Or maybe, oh, I took a wrong turn. Okay, let's reorient myself. Right? But can I not be constantly worrying about it, right? And also I'd add, this is like my GPS teaching, right? Which is, <laughs> and can I not have any blame involved, right? That's what's great about the GPS. You take a wrong turn, the GPS does not say, stupid, how could you have done that? Why'd you turn left? You're supposed to turn right. <laughs> it just says, recalibrating, right? <laughs> it's just like, recalibrating. At the next junction, turn left, right? <laughs> or the next junction, make a U-turn, right? Whatever it says, right? But it doesn't get upset. It's no big deal. It's just like recalibrating, right? <laughs> it's our possibility. It's just like, all right, all right, oops, messed up, recalibrating, right? <laughs> can we just find it again? Can we find our way again, right? And so he says if we could find for a moment, if we can be present in our house, and again, we're going to see more about this imagery, but this imagery for me is so um, amazing, this imagery of the house. And also reminds me, many of you might know we hear the poem by Rumi, you know, the guest house. He has this beautiful poem where he talks about, you know, we're a guest house for the world. Stuff comes, stuff goes, right? Lovely stuff, terrible stuff, malice, right? Can you really be an open guest house which allows everything to come and go? He doesn't say this, but what the Pizetsner is saying here is without identifying with it. Right? Like you're just the guest house. That's okay. Things are arising. Things are passing. But you don't have to fall into it. Right? <laughs> like joy may arise. Lovely. Joy's arising. Great. Something good happened. How wonderful. I don't have to go crazy about it. Oh, worry arises. Or some sadness arises. Well, that's okay. I don't have to like, identify with the worry. I don't have to get obsessive about it. I don't have to lose myself in the thinking about the worry and what's going to happen. And yada, yada, yada. Right? I can be found in my house right in my house, Ayeka, right? And it's interesting there that he uses, he doesn't say Eifoata, he says Ayeka, which is, of course, what Hashem asks Adam, right? Like Ayeka, Ayeka. There's a famous um, story about that of the Balatanya. The Balatanya at one point, I don't know if you know, the founder of Chabad, Lubavitch, was um, in the lovely Jewish world we often experience, <laughs> was informed on to the Russian authorities by the Midnagdim. Right? Which is pretty serious, right? You don't want to be in a 19th century Russian jail, 
right? <laughs> like it is not walking the park. So he gets you know, accused of things, he gets thrown in jail, and there's a, there's a story of that he's hanging out with his jailer named Boris. And Boris comes and he says, you know, they strike up a friendship as he's hanging out in jail. And he goes, oh, yeah, I always had a question about this, about the, the Bible. You know, God comes and says to Adam, Ayeka, where are you? Doesn't God know? Mm-hmm. Right? Doesn't God know? Like, why is he asking Adam, where are you? And the Balatanya says, at least in the story, he says, Boris, the Torah is speaking to us today. Ayeka. Right? Shem's asking Ayeka, where are you? So the possessor is asking us, Ayeka, where are you? Are you getting lost in habitual responsiveness? Are you getting lost in reaction? Are you getting lost in these emotions? Or is there a capacity to say, I'm right here. Emotions are rising and passing, and that's great, and that's good. But I don't have to be controlled by it, right? And then he says, <clears throat> But when a person is located in himself, and he will not be like an entryway, he will not be an entryway trampled by the occurrences and the ideas of the world, that come to him, that come into him. So I love this image, right? It's like the Bugs Bunny image, right? It's like normally we're like standing there and emotion comes in, it's like, right? Just runs right over our face, stomps on us, takes us over, right? And we're like flat, and like, who was that masked man, right? <laughs> what happened there? What happened? Like anger came, all of a sudden, poof, lost in anger, you know, confusion came, lost in confusion, resentment came, lost in resentment, right? And he's saying, right, but if you're found in yourself, if you're actually present in yourself, then you don't have to be trampled by the world, right? You don't have to be overwhelmed at every experience. In fact, you can be present in your house, and, you know, what I feel like the broader sense of that image is, it's like, you know, he talks about this other, in other places he says, doesn't say it here, but he talks a lot about repression and keeping out. He says, well, we like slam the door in the face of our emotional experience. We're like, no way, you're not coming in. That's one thing we do. The second thing we do is get overwhelmed and trampled, right? So the emotions come and they just, they smash us. We, there's, we're not found anywhere. We're trampled by them. We're prisoned by them. We're just a guest house. But if we can just sit in our house, like we are just present in our house, as he says, in Tzava Beito, then it's like, okay, visitors can come, visitors can go, that's fine. They, can't, they don't have to trample us. We don't have to lock the door in their faces or put ten deadbolts on the door, right? We can just be present, and that can be okay. And they can arise, and they can pass, and they can be there, and we can be fully open to them, and we don't have to be controlled by them, right? And there's a place where we can find in that moment our center, right? Our center. There's a centering there in the moment. And that centering, though, and this is crucial, now we're going to get to the next piece, that centering is not cold, right? I think there's a way of talking about that, and that's what I want to be very clear about, and the possessioner is clear about that. There's a way of talking about that which can seem as if it's cold. It's a kind of equanimity, and it's an equanimity which is like, oh, I'm not feeling out of everything. I don't mind what happens. You know, nonsense. Of course you mind what happens, right? <laughs> Who doesn't mind what happens, right? In other words, you mind what happens. You're not, it's not irrelevant to you what happens in the world, right? But it's not irrelevant to you what's happening in your emotions and not about not feeling your emotions. That is just another form of oppression. It's just another form of aversion. It's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not feeling that. That doesn't bother me. 
right? Really? It's saying I can see the emotions, I can be with them, and I don't have to be controlled by them. And to do that actually takes the willingness to have our full emotional experience. Our full emotional experience. To let the joy be there, to let the anger be there, to let the sadness be there, whatever it is that's arising. And so the Gizetzer continues, he says, to do this, Tzarich HaYisraeli Le'oreo Batsmuto Hitlavut V'Hipalut Tektusha. To do this, a person must arouse within himself this fiery passion and even ecstasy of holiness. These aspects of passion, of ecstasy, of really arousing our emotions, of feeling them fully, is impossible to understand intellectually. Rather, a person must feel them himself. Or he must be able to feel them directly. Elsewhere he talks about, similar to this image, he says, normally our emotions are just little drips. They're just little drips within us. They're weak and they're slight. And, um, and we don't feel them fully. And if we would just open the tap, they would become like a rushing stream. And some people may read that text and it's like a little terrifying. It's like, I don't have a Russian stream inside of me. <laughs> that feels like a little too much. But what the Setsu claims there, he says, and just as he says here, he says, no, no, no. That's right, that stream can be overwhelming if we start to identify with the stream. Right? We fall into the stream. But if that stream is just coming through our house, washing it clean, purifying it over and over and over again, and he says, explicitly there, he says, we feel our emotions and we have that machshavah Torah, that purifying the consciousness, which is a machshavah that strong consciousness, which is the mindfulness here in his terminology, it purifies us, right? So we feel those emotions and they're purifying. And again, I'm going to suggest, I'm going to connect it to our own experience, that is, my experience is that when I fully and uninhibitedly feel my emotions with no resistance to them, it is purifying and it is liberating. When I have like a good cry, Right? Like, I'm just crying, not holding anything back. I feel purified and liberated. I feel cleansed. When I allow joy to just arise in me and pass through without any clinging, without any need to control it, I'm liberated and I'm cleansed. Right? When I do the other two options, which is resistant in some way, I'm pained and I'm closed, or get swamped by it, like I get lost in my anger, I'm pained and I'm closed. Right? But if I can just allow the anger to arise, even the anger, the anger to arise in me and see the fear underneath, right? And see maybe the pain underneath. And allow that all to arise and move through. I'm liberated and I'm cleansed, right? And so the Pizetzer suggests here so importantly that this place of liberation in the midst of emotion does not come from controlling the emotion in any way. Right? We don't decide when the emotion comes, when it goes. We don't shut the door. And it doesn't come from getting captivated and controlled by the emotion, trampled by the emotion, overwhelmed by the emotion, flooded by the emotion. That's the scary part of that image of the stream, like that it will flood me. But it comes instead by being really present, present in my house. And when I'm present there, then the emotion comes. It comes, it gushes through, and it passes. Right? And in that, there's liberation the liberation of fully feeling the emotion, and the liberation of the ability to be present with 
without being captured by, overwhelmed by the emotion, and therefore the ability to make choices. It's like, oh, I'm feeling anger now. I'm feeling anger. I don't have to act on the anger. I don't have to hit somebody or say something angry. I can just notice anger is arising right now. That's okay. Sadness is arising right now. Joy is arising right now. All those things, totally okay, totally wonderful, totally liberating, and for the Pizetzner, actually the essence of divinity. So I'm going to pause there with another offering, another way to see a kind of another technique of liberation, of how to liberate ourselves through feeling and opening to our emotions. Um, and next time we'll continue that discussion about different ways in which mindfulness can lead to different aspects of freedom. We're going to talk about um, mindfulness and liberation from thought and with thought, and mindfulness and liberation in connection to desire as well, our desires. So as normal, at the end, um, sorry, everything took a little bit longer today, so we have a little less time. Um, but we will open it up for any questions people might have, any comments, any thoughts in relation to the practice, the talk, anything else that's happening in your practice or your experience. Um, so you talked about, you know, like at the very end, you know, letting the emotions kind of wash through you like the yeah. stream and the yeah. liberating effect of that. Yeah. You used examples of joy and anger. Um, but I was wondering, with anxiety, it seems like something that's much harder to just let sweep through you and let go because of the nature of it in terms of... Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. So the Pizetzner talks about anxiety and what we might call depression and despair. Um, it's really all connected. I mean, I think we would all call them clinical depression in some way, you know, or an anxiety disorder. And he says those actually are not emotions. They're actually kind of anti-emotions. They lead to what he calls tintum halev, the dulling of the heart. And there are actually ways in which we repress or suppress or stop ourselves from feeling genuine emotion. So like fear is an emotion, right? Anxiety, he says, is not really an emotion. Having said that, what's interesting, and so what he says in, the, in regards to those is that actually one should try to avoid feeling this as much as possible. Like, as much as you can, whatever you can do, like, don't let yourself fall into depression or anxiety if you can stop it. And he talks, gives us explicit instructions about how not to do that. One of them, for instance, is to try not to worry too much. Right. As she says, like, note it, give yourself that moment to worry, and then move on. Right? Um, <clears throat> and with depression, he says, like, look out for it. If you notice you're getting like too sad and worried, bring some joy into your life. You know? So like try to actually be aware of those things arising and see if you can cut them off at the past. Versus he doesn't say the same thing about like joy or sorrow or even anger in the same way, right? But interestingly once they've arisen, it's the same strategy. But it's slightly different. I'll say it's slightly different in my experience, which is anxiety is a great example because it's something I've worked with a lot, you know, and really motivated the beginning of my practice, overwhelming anxiety, and overwhelming anxiety is being completely shut down. So my experience was there was that also I needed to fundamentally, fundamentally open to the anxiety, fundamentally open to it, deeply, deeply, deeply open to it. But when I opened to it, instead of feeling like, it was sort of a stream of water that could sort of rush through me, like joy can feel, like sorrow can feel. Instead, what my experience was that when I genuinely opened to it, it just disappeared, right? Because part of the nature of anxiety, anxiety is aversion, it's pushing away, it's fear. And it's fed by our own resistance to it, right? So when I was ready to fundamentally give up that resistance, there was no fuel anymore for the anxiety, right? There's no fuel for the anxiety. 
Um, and that's still my experience, which is if I can really open to the anxiety, the more that I open to it, the more that I open to it, I'm just not trapped in it anymore. And then I can open it to it fully and sometimes I can't, right? So like, to the extent that I partially open to it, I'm partially free from it. <laughs> to the extent that I fully open to it, I'm fully free from it. And like it depends on the day and what's happening and not always possible. And often I just bring a lot more compassion to it. So there's just compassion within the more the compassion that's there, the less again that I'm trapped by it. But you're definitely right in my experience that it doesn't have that feeling of like the gushing stream. Like it does not feel purifying to feel the anxiety. What feels purifying is like I open to it, open to it, and see there's something much wider than it, and I'm not feeling it anymore. It falls away. So yesterday I had one of those moments of feeling overwhelming joy mm. and not knowing how to hold it and actually mm. being like, he's going to sad because I know <laughs> how to relate to sad. Yeah. And then literally I like didn't know how to hold it, so I checked out and I was like, okay, I know I'm checking out, but I don't know what else to do with you. So like, can you help me like practically? Yes, move through me. Yes, open to it. Like, what to do? Yeah. So first of all, it's great. The possessor describes that exactly. And it took me a while to actually understand what he's describing. He says, joy comes forth. We don't fully understand it, and so we numb out. We drink, we eat, we chat with a friend instead, <laughs> right? Because it's like a little overwhelming for us. So what you do is you turn directly to the joy and you try to hold it in mindfulness. And you might even need to say, not me, right? It's not me, it's joy and that's great. You know, I don't like, I'm not pushing it away in any way. I'm just recognizing that it's just another thing that's arising in my experience. And right now joy's arising, how lovely, right? I don't need to get like scared by it, right? I can just notice joy's arising right now. It's not me, it's just another thing passing through the house, right? Not me, not me, not me. In my experience, the not me takes the edge off the overwhelm. I also did that, um, like I learned that technique first when I was in a retreat and I was having overwhelming anxiety. The teacher on the retreat said, just try gently labeling, not me, not me, not me. And it was, it was amazing. It's like, oh, oh, it is there, it is there, but like, it's not me. <laughs> I don't have to get trapped in it. And same with the joy. That's not me either. None of it's me. So there's just space for us to rise and manifest. And then you can actually enjoy the joy. Also, it's just like, oh, this, this is really pleasant. <laughs> That's nice. Nothing wrong with that. Like, this is really pleasant. I love this. And it's going to pass, which is part of the not me. It's like, not me. It's just going to rise and it's going to pass at some point. And that's okay too. And that prevents the clinging. Yeah. Which is like, exactly. Really scary exactly. Exactly. Because it's like, want that joy. So good. You've been listening to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. For more information about Or Halev and how to stay up to date with our podcasts, visit the website at orhalev.org.